In this episode, Tom Breeze breaks down a winning YouTube ad that's driven over 4 million views. Tom's spending over $100,000 a day and is 100% performance-based and is actually fronting the media and the advertising costs for his clients and getting paid a CPA and a commission. It's a beautiful model. Absolutely love it. If you're an ad agency, you can definitely take notes on Tom's model. If you're an advertiser or a brand looking to open up YouTube ads, Tom is the legend. All right, let's dive into it. So um, when we broke this down, we we look at this first act in the video because it kind of continues on from that burning guitar and moves into uh, Tony around the campfire. And the the idea being is that that campfire scene at night when Tony's talking to you, you kind of want to be him. You're listening to the Rich Ad Poor Ad podcast, where we break down the financial principles that rich advertisers are deploying today to turn advertising into profit and get tons of traffic to their websites without killing their cash. These advertisers, agencies, affiliates, brands are responsible for managing over a billion dollars a year in ad spend. You'll hear about what's working for them today, their rich ads, and we'll roast their epic failures and crappy ads on the internet with poor ads. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of the Rich Ad Poor Ad Podcast. This is your host, Zach Johnson. And on today's show, we've got the founder and CEO of Viewability, the agency and training company that specializes in YouTube ads. I think Dylan, this is the first, uh, I think YouTube ads, like media buyer and expert that we've had on the show. I'm I'm, I'm pretty pumped. So this will right? be a breath of fresh air, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Video is so king. So, I mean, I'm so pumped to dive into this, especially being YouTube because it's it's a foreign language for me, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what's also unique about uh, today's guest is that, you know, he truly is uh, pay for results and performance based. Um, you know, in, in the in the world of thousands of agencies, uh, very few actually uh, deliver on this. Um, most are you know, a base fixed, you know, retainer and a percentage of spend uh, at best. And uh, I think that um, these guys literally are fronting the media for their clients and getting paid out uh, on a CPA and on a, on a commission basis. So uh, he definitely uh, is wor worth his weight and what he has to say about YouTube ads. So I'm pretty pumped to have him on the show. Without further ado, Tom Breeze, welcome to the Rich Ad Poor Ad podcast. How you doing? Very good, Zach and Dylan. Yeah, good, buddy. How are things? Good, man. I uh, not only are the first YouTube ads, but you are the second uh, media buyer and agency in the UK that we've had on the show. So, <laughs> con congrats. <laughs> there we go. Okay, perfect. We we'll get you a plaque. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I expect it now. <laughs> I love it, man. Well. You know, for anybody that's been around and, and spending any, you know, meaningful amount of money on advertising, I think that, you know, they've heard of you uh, through one form channel of another. Um, and you spoke at digital marketers events. You've obviously, you know, wrote the book. Uh, but tell everybody a little bit about what you're up to most recently and uh, and what you're up to these days. Yeah. So um, the agency is going from strength to strength. So that's been 
a, a big part of our growth. Um, we've kind of kept our head down and stayed in our lane for quite some time. So we, in the past, we've kind of dabbled a little bit with Facebook ads and that type of thing. And we know we can do some good work there, but we realize now, like probably about what four or five years ago that like YouTube ads is our thing. Like that's just what we know really well. And we just go deeper and deeper into that world. Um, so I still feel like we're learning tons every single day and we just apply that learning to all clients all the time. So yeah, we're lucky to be performance-based because it means we really do feel like we partner with our clients as opposed to be an agency where you're doing the work for, for a client. And the, the scenarios we get are such that we can, we can be in a position where we fund tests and things where we can kind of say, right, well, let's, let's dump a load of money into that test and see if it actually works or not. Where the client would never kind of sign off on that. We can do that. Um, and it allows us to learn so quickly. So yeah, we're, we're focusing on kind of diving deep into creative, how we can turn creative into more of an SOP and more predictable because sometimes it feels like it's like dark magic that people can create these amazing videos and how do they do it? And I come from a like very psychological background. So I'm always looking at kind of what makes people tick, what makes, makes people go, yes, I want this thing. Um, and how do we structure that so that every ad we create is able to do the job and get conversions and at scale as well. So yeah, we're always testing, always finding new things. We've just started doing a lot more in the kind of training and consulting uh, space as well. So yeah, we're kind of we're hoping that your viewability becomes the home of YouTube advertising. And uh, we just got our heads down working hard on that. Awesome, man. And how much ad spend do you guys advise on, manage, and really oversee, do you think, on an annual basis these days? On an annual basis, is difficult. Oh, I could probably run the numbers. But we, we kind of oversee around about $100,000 a day on YouTube advertising. Um, in terms of advice, I'm always like, try and spend more. <laughs> That's kind of the, uh, the advice I give to most people. Um, and if you can get YouTube working really well, it's, it's a great platform to scale on. Like it doesn't work for every industry I, I, at scale, I must admit. Um, you can get it to work for most uh, businesses, but there's going to be certain industries and certain niches that you can work in that really do scale very well and, and predictably as well. So um, when you kind of work in those spaces, it's not difficult to start spending $15,000, dollars $20,000 a day um, at scale and at profit as well. So it's a it, it's a great platform to be on, and yeah, you can you can spend a lot of money on on that profitably, and we're very much direct response focused. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, hundred k a day is is nothing to to scoff at on in terms of <laughs> YouTube ads and volume. So, congrats on being able to hit that level of uh, uh, level of scale. Well, let's let's dive into it, man. I want to know what's working now. I want to know what is this rich ad that we're going to be diving into today. Yeah, so this ad is actually um, from one of our clients we've worked with for a long time, um, Tony Policastro. So he teaches guitar online, and there's no one really better. Um, and um, when it comes to running ads on YouTube, it's it's kind of you got to keep an eye on what actually works as a, on the platform itself. Like I think a lot of people are advertising on various platforms, a bit like Facebook. And I think the, the classic story at the moment is a brand is doing really well on Facebook and then they don't feel quite so comfortable on that platform or having all of their eggs in one basket, so to speak. So they're kind of looking to diversify and they look at YouTube and think, okay, well, that's the ne next obvious place to go. And 
then it becomes, well, Facebook and YouTube are just not the same beast. It's a very different platform altogether. Um, and so it, it needs that different approach. Like a lot of the time, uh, I tend to look at the three core areas of, of getting a YouTube ad campaign to work really well is like the offer itself, um, which is kind of down to the, the positioning of the offer and the margins and the mindset really behind it. The actual ad creative. So what are you going to do in the actual video ad itself to make it really pull the numbers it needs to? And then also the kind of the campaign types and how to make sure that you're um, structuring your targeting and your campaigns in the right way to, to really grow and scale. Um, so that's kind of like the three areas we tend to look at. And when we look at bringing uh, Tony Palacastro's guitars online, which is, uh, sorry, his adverts on, onto YouTube, we really need to, to think about like what it takes to, to get someone to convert, um, which sounds obvious, but like with YouTube, you do tend to find that you've got a very, very different audience. So with YouTube, you tend to find people that are going there because they're looking to know something or do something or buy something. Those are the kind of three core search-based mm-hmm. areas. And then you also have like interest-based audiences as well. Um, and so when you know that, you can think, right, well, depending on what audience we're looking to target, you can create videos for those different audiences. So I, I tend to kind of break down the audience type and I try and get really into the psychology of it by imagining the type of person in front of me. Um, mm-hmm. So the the way I look at that is to say, well, there's three different types of customer on YouTube. There's, And I think if, like, if you imagine if you had a, a bricks and mortar store, for example, and people coming to the store, you're going to have what I would call like a checkout shopper. They're the people that kind of product under their arm looking to actually just make the purchase. They've got credit card in hand. They may have a few questions for the sales rep just to say, hey, uh, what's the guarantee on this again? And they're just looking for a little bit more assurance to make sure they feel comfortable with that purchase. And that's kind of like the uh, checkout shopper. And really that kind of comes down to remarketing. So getting back in front of people you already know and make sure you're targeting those people. And when you're kind of focusing on that audience, you don't need to have the big kind of great big attention grabbing headline to the actual ad itself. It's more just build that relationship with them and just make sure they feel comfortable. Uh, Cause that's what you do in real life. And that's kind of how, how I think about YouTube. Um, you, then you have like the second audience would be like the in-store shopper. So they've come in store, they probably know they're looking for something, but they still don't know what to buy just yet. They're more, they're mm. looking for a solution to a problem, but they don't know what solution might be right for them. And that's what they will talk to a sales rep. And those in-store shoppers can be targeted with things like search-based targeting, like placement targeting, keyword targeting, custom intent targeting, or in-market targeting. And um, those people are looking for those solutions. So that would kind of mean that if you were talking to those people, you would talk like as if you're a sales rep. You're just going to try and be helpful and give advice and value uh, so people can make better decisions. And obviously, if you're doing that, they're going to want to take your um, take your advice and, and go with what products you would be recommending. Um, and then you've got kind of the, the next audience, which is like the window shopper, I consider it. Like those are the people outside the store looking in and thinking, okay, this might actually be quite interesting. I'm somewhat interested in this, what this product, what this store has to sell, but I'm not ready to go and buy just yet. And with that type of interest-based audiences, you can you can use like custom affinity audiences or affinity audiences on on YouTube. And they can be really dialed in based on, people's like the URLs that people visit or the apps they have on their phone or the places they go in real life. Um, you can, you can target people based on that type of, um, data that Google have. And for those people, those window shoppers, you kind of, 
need to grab their attention. It's a lot more kind of attention grabbing headline type uh, videos, grab that attention, bring them in um, and begin that customer journey there. They may not go and buy right there and then, but it's great for brand awareness, get them to know who you are and then start looking at that conversion um, journey for them. But then when you, when you know that and you can, you can think about that targeting, it starts to mean that right now we know what sort of creative to put together because we know who we're talking to and, and kind of how we want to talk to them. Um, and that's where you get a lot of ads on YouTube that just miss the mark completely because they're trying to just put their message in front of people, but not really start with the user's questions, like start with where they're at. Because if you start there, it does make the videos a lot more powerful. Um, all right. So talk to me about the, the video ad itself here, because like in the very first, like three seconds, the guitar is literally getting lit on fire, which definitely is grabbing your attention. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, you really thought it through because it's a three and a half minute video, right? It's not something that was just like, I've seen these ads all over Facebook, right? Like Dean Graziosi and, and Russell Brunson did the book funnels where they're just lighting their books on fire. Uh, but you really evolved off of it. And uh, something's working because there's 4 million views. So like, break this down for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we weren't, we were obviously aware of the uh, Dean Graziosi and the um, Russell Brunson book funnels and things like the book is on fire. It's that popular type thing. Um, we, we came at it from a different angle um, and happened to come across like a good pattern interrupt at the very beginning of the video. But like the, the messaging was, is like well, the, the words that come up um, kind of, say like your guitar is as useless as plywood basically and you might as well burn it um with where you're at right now that's what it feels like for a lot of people but the what we're looking to do is is make sure in that in the as quickly as we can we try and grab people's unconscious desires so these are the things that they may not be aware that they really really want but if we portray them and show them they're like yeah, yeah yeah that's what i want that's what i want so um when we broke this down we we look at this first act in the video because it kind of it continues on from that burning guitar and moves into uh, Tony around the campfire. And the, the idea being is that that campfire scene at night when Tony's talking to you, you kind of want to be him. You want to be in that scenario. You want to be like, hey, I would love to learn how to play the guitar so I can sit around the campfire and impress mm -hmm. the girl and I can um, be with my family or be with my buddies and have a few beers and play the guitar and just like, just enjoy that, that moment for what it is. And it brings around a lot of community, a bit of status as well. It kind of brings that mm -hmm. identity out from people like, Hey, I'm also a guitar player. That's pretty cool. And what we like, what we're trying to emulate is that in that first scene, we kind of, there's three things we want to try and unlock. Really. We want someone to think, as soon as they see that video, they want to say, I want to be that person doing that thing and feeling that mm -hmm. emotion. Um, so when mm -hmm. we, you can even apply this to things like Ty Lopez's ads where he's in the, in the car with, uh, or in the garage with the guitar. It's like you see the cars and it doesn't appeal to everybody, of course, but you're kind of your unconscious mind is, is drawn in by the fact that there's these cool cars and lots of wealth being shown. And, the, and <laughs> whilst consciously you're like, that's not really for me, maybe unconsciously you're still like, that's, that's kind of what I want, though. And your unconscious can't stop that desire from happening, right? Um, there's all, I mean, there's also another component to this, which is uh, Eric Carlson uses, uses this, um, use this phrase called concept of use, right? Of like, there's a ton of ways you could 
benefit from guitar lessons, right? Like whether somebody wants to start a band, somebody wants to like, you know, play a weekend gig at a bar. Um, you know, at Funnel Dash, like we had this this dashboard tool that like could have been used a, do- a dozens of different ways, right? Like it could have been used to automate client reporting. It could have been used to like just get to know your bet the numbers better. But like the dashboard ultimately was most popularly like across all customers was really being used to audit their clients' ad spend. And here, I I don't know uh, Tony's audience like as well. <laughs> However, I got to guess that the lion's share of the audience, like the number one use of his lessons is for the outcome and the use of being able to play, you know, that like, whatever Weezer U2 song, you know, U2 song, like, (laughs) you know, on a Saturday night at the beach, right? Like that's um, this, this concept of use in addition to everything you're saying, Tom, which is the desirability, you know, uh, aspect of it all. Yeah. And one thing I would even kind of bring into here is, I mean, shoot, I mean, I know back in college, the amount of times you're around a bonfire and somebody's playing the guitar. I mean, I feel like y'all's made that picture perfect moments where it's like, that could be me. You know what I mean? So I think <laughs> right on the head there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, we, with any ad we're creating, we want to have that feeling like, Oh, you want to be that person. Cause as soon as that happens, you kind of, you're drawn in. You're like, oh, I want to be that person. So we've just written another script for a, um, a new client who's in the piano playing space. Um, and not that all of our clients are musicians, by the way, but this just happens to be another <laughs> client. Um, and, We've got her. She's like amazing at playing piano, uh, like won all these awards in the top like Steinway stuff. And so she's got so much credibility. But we're starting that ad off with her playing the piano, uh, Steinway, beautiful piano in the mountains. Um, we tried to get on the beach, but we got it in the mountains because of weather and that type of thing is more difficult by yeah. the beach. Um, and the whole reason, like with drone footage and things like this, it, it doesn't. It's, not, it's a bit of a production, but it doesn't cost a huge amount. Um, not like not like the top level media kind of creatives. We're kind of we like to try and keep things on a budget um, as much as we can. But like right. the we have that um, scene or being shot soon where it's like the drone footage and her just kind of losing herself playing the guitar, uh, playing the piano in the mountainside. So it's a striking image, and it grabs it like it breaks your attention because you're like you don't really see that very often. But immediately, mm-hmm. like, I want to, if you're into, into wanting to play piano, you're like, I want to be her playing piano like that in the, in the mountains. Like, <laughs> and I want to have that complete creative freedom. I want to have that feeling of like just getting lost in the music because that's kind of what they crave. They crave that kind of creative freedom and being able to play the piano unconsciously and just being in that flow state. And so we're kind of showing that really quickly in the video. So it makes you just drawn in immediately. And then we can start getting onto the script. Like, I always, Think of storyboard first, get the visuals right, because that's the first thing you see, and then script afterwards. Um, and then that it, it then complements the storyboard rather than the other way around. I think a lot of people go script first and then try and storyboard it afterwards. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I tend to focus the other way around. Yeah, that is awesome. You're amazing. You're amazing, Tom. Why did he say that? God. <laughs> this YouTube video strategy is so different. It's super nifty to kind of even think about. I, I love this. Oh, my gosh. Nifty. Really? Really? We're going to say the word nifty on the Rich Ed Port button. <laughs> well. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Funnel Dash's ad card, the only charge card exclusively for your digital ad spend. And if you're an ad agency that manages seven or even eight figures a year in media and ad spend for your clients, 
and you're looking to double your profits over the next six to 12 months, then check out AdCard. See, the typical agency model is this. You charge 10% of your spend, and you make 10 to 20% margin at the end of the day. So that's really one to 2% of your client's spend that is profit in your business. The easiest way to double that is to really find a way to earn in that one to 2% cash back of the card that is on file of your clients' ad account. And before AdCard, what you had to do was invoice all your clients for their ad spend up front, which is really difficult on a cash flow basis and very difficult ask. And then you had to put the card on your own Amex or whatever card of choice to get that level of value back into your business. With AdCard, it's entirely different and streamlined. You simply get your clients on AdCard and make yourself the agency of record and you'll get the cash back as long as you're managing the ad spend. It's a great way to double your profit without doing any additional work. Check it out at FunnelDash.com. Uh, let's talk about some poor ads. I mean, I mean, uh, I know you're, you're, you're killing on YouTube ads, but you got to oh. add some losers in there. Um, like, <laughs> oh, we have, us. Yeah, we have our fair share of losers for sure. Yeah, don't uh, worry about let's that. <laughs> let's break, break down this poor ad, man. I want to know what, what doesn't work. Yeah, so with the with the poor ad, um, uh, we were kind of we we didn't feel confident with it going in anyway, but we like to test pretty much everything we can. And sometimes clients will say, "Hey, this is working ridiculously well on Facebook for us, and we should use this on YouTube." Um, now, not to say that the concept of the ad that you might have working really well on Facebook won't work on YouTube. That some of the concepts will work, but it's been done in such a way where it just doesn't really fit the. The YouTube space. So a lot of like, so this ad here that we're talking about here is like, um, it, we've kind of cut the left hand side. <laughs> well, first of all, it's a Facebook ad trying to be repurposed into mm. a YouTube video uh, ad. And normally when it's like square or vertical video, we try and replace because obviously on, on YouTube, you've got a 69 by nine space and you don't have text above the video or comments underneath. You literally just have the video playing. That's all you've got on YouTube. Uh, there's not like a social element to it. Uh, it's more like running a TV ad. So when we get given like a vertical video or a square video, we have to kind of fill in the sides to make it make sense. And um, so we, we, we thought we'd be clever about it by saying, right, well, that space that we need to fill in, if we're to move that square video to the side, we've got a load of space on the left-hand side. We thought we'd like add in some testimonials and the reviews and a headline in there, and so we kind of like bring the bring the thumb back to guitar and like a four point nine out of five stars is kind of held there during the ad. On the right hand side, it's basically like a testimonial um, and someone like saying great things about the product, and we've got a bit of a voiceover going on as well. But it was it was very much what works on Facebook. Let's try and apply it to YouTube like a testimonial ad. And even if we ran it as a remarketing ad, it still didn't work very well at all. But cold, it was just dreadful. <laughs> it just doesn't work at all because it wasn't really written um, for YouTube. You've got to remember like people on YouTube are, are looking for answers, are looking for help, and they're not necessarily looking for straightaway testimonial of your product. It's like that's not necessarily what they want to see immediately. Um, they want to know that you can provide value and help to them. Um, and based on that, they'll continue the journey with you. So it's just a different platform, and those ads very rarely work. And so, yeah, this this ad is basically doesn't even show anybody in the video. You can't even connect with anybody in the video. It just literally just shows um, 
I mean, it, it's in hindsight, it's so easy to review, right? To say this is why it was so bad. But when you when, like, if I was to ask, I had to kind of say why it's not going to work. It would be so much more difficult. Um, but uh, yeah, the the ad just bombed. Basically, it was. I literally went through the account and found the worst ad, and I was like, yeah, this is the worst ad we've run. Um, but you can kind of see why it's it's just not. Um, it, it's there's nothing really going on that's compelling in it. It's more just um, the the ad is trying to just show a testimonial and that testimonial just is not going to pull the numbers we needed to. Yeah. This is, this is a complete 180 from the original rich. Yeah. That's wild. Cause yeah, like this is, this is something I would totally use on Facebook, the authority, 700 reviews, the call to action, click the link below. I mean, this is super Facebook ad oriented. So I mean, taking it to YouTube. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm learning more and more on what YouTube is now. (laughs) (laughs) The, the, I mean, one thing we did find that works really, really well with ads um, is, um, and we kind of did this quite a few years ago now, and so everyone seems to be doing it, which is which is cool. I love that. Um, at the end of a video, what happens on YouTube sometimes is like people listen to everything, every word you're saying, like everything you're saying, they kind of want to listen to everything because the, the viewer retention on YouTube is huge. So we're getting all these video ads that be longer and longer and longer. We're kind of testing like 30-minute ads at the moment. It's pretty wow. crazy. Um, but the... At the end of the video, because people are listening in to everything you're saying, what a lot of people do is just don't finish off the video until you finish talking, and then it like stops. But what happens on YouTube is like if you let the video run out, it then nowadays it actually adds a little bit of a call to action. But um, you, it just used to just load up the video you're about to watch. So you know on YouTube if you're watching like a pre-roll ad, uh, you you can be watching that video, and then um, at the end of the video. Um, the, the video you're meant to be watching, um, like the pre-roll ad comes in front of the video you're about to watch. Then when the pre-roll ad finishes, it just loads up the video you were meant to be watching. Um, and what ends up happening is that people were ready to click. They wanted to click, but they were listening to everything you said. And then by the time you stopped, they didn't have enough time to actually click to the website. Um, and so we added like an extra eight seconds onto the end of the, each video that we did. And just, it was kind of, we called it dead time, but we did a countdown timer from eight seconds out to count down to zero and by adding that extra scarcity we noticed like our click-through rates um, on some of our ads like bumped up by like 35 percent it was like 30 to 35 percent uh just by adding a countdown timer at the end of the video and it was just an edit (laughs) thing it wasn't anything just just a quick edit thing um and yeah it just like all of our ads are just improving just by doing that it's pretty crazy oh good old countdown timers they'll never (laughs) fail (laughs) (laughs) when in doubt add a countdown timer (laughs) <laughs> oh man that's awesome <laughs> well let's dive into this next segment i you know you've got an interesting pr- perspective here that that i think you're going to bring to you know really understanding you know the the nuances and and having a really solid control over your finances especially when you're fronting the media uh for your clients so you got to have it dialed in not only on the tracking side but also in how you're um, you know, getting paid with, with, with clients, right? Like, what is that? Like, <laughs> what goes all into that? Cause, uh, you're spending quite a bit on, on, on media there on behalf of your clients. And if, um, I don't know, like a few episodes prior, we just had, uh, Hawk media on Eric and he was talking about how he's seen a lot of agencies like get in trouble with this situation where they're floating media for their clients and then their clients end up not paying for whatever reason. And then they're out, you know, sometimes like seven figures um, and at, or at a minimum, they're like significantly like hurting on cash flow because they're constantly 
exploding their their client spend. So like, I want to break all this down. Not yeah. Uh, so yeah. first, start I guess by just telling us how you structure your your uh, your contracts with your with your clients. Yeah. So the the contracts. Well, it's okay. So like, if we go one step back, like we're all performance based, and, and we like to have that sort of relationship with clients. One because it sets up the client relationship right. Um, we have to qualify clients really carefully uh, so we know we're working on the right projects that we can make money from. Um, but also we need to make sure we there's a level of trust there. So we don't ever have like long, long-term contracts with clients. It's never like we say, hey, if you sign up with us, you're signed up for 12 months, 18 months, whatever it might be. We're literally like, hey, mm. if you want to stop the ads, just stop the ads, just pay up and we're good to go. So like that, that, that would be the end of the contract so we're kind of constantly proving our worth and making sure that we are doing a good job obviously um but it's very difficult to not do a good job when you're performance-based because it's either working or it's not um if it's not working we don't really have much of a relationship there um or you have to try and fix things or call it a day um and we haven't got a 100 percent success rate we've probably around about 80 percent success rate uh with projects we take on um and mm-hmm. so we, we try out some things sometimes things work sometimes don't work and that's just the way it can be and we're getting better and better at qualifying um so we kind of know the niches that work well um but when it comes down to the relationship we have with clients so we don't we do all the creative work we spend all like the money on the ads um and they pay for results and so the way we structure that typically is normally one of four ways so it's either going to be a cost per lead model or a cost per sale model um or it can be a um a rev share deal or a profit share deal it's it's different for every client, but we just find a, a kind of a, a deal that works well uh, for the client. They feel happy with it. We can kind of lock it in, and we know we can scale. Uh, and that's kind of how we look at it. When we um when we do it, we we spend the money, we track things ourselves, and obviously we track things on the client side as well. Make sure that those numbers are not there's not too much discrepancy in those numbers. We always go with the client numbers at the end of the day, um, and then we basically invoice how it like say for example it was um five dollars a lead let's say and we got a thousand leads then we ch- we invoice the client five thousand dollars and hopefully we can get in for less than that um those numbers are arbitrary by the way <laughs> but uh you get the point and the when we work with clients in that way if we're starting to really scale then we just have to start invoicing a little bit more regularly so we don't just invoice on a um on a uh, like either a monthly or every two weeks we'll start invoicing every week um we we can normally float for a week uh without having too much of an issue so it never goes um quicker than or n- n- the invoices are very rarely less than a week but it means that that means we can keep on top of things and yeah we've got burnt a little bit in the past there's been a few times where clients have had problems and haven't been able to pay but when you're a week out then it's not the end of the world um, well, I say it's not the end of the world. If clients are listening, yes, it is the end of the world. We want you to pay. <laughs> um, but you can it, the risk um, and reward of, of running campaigns like that is that we, we worked out that we're much better off being a performance-based agency than not being a performance-based agency, even with that risk. Yeah, that is, that's pretty awesome, man. So what have you done to really in terms of like spending at the card level, right? Like you guys just throw this all on like one Amex across all your accounts. And then like, <laughs> you know, like, like how do you really set some threshold there with your clients at certain levels of scale? And, um, you know, cause you're, you're not really like a full blown affiliate, right? Like you, you 
pretty much are using all their creative assets and they're kind of giving you some limits on, you know, how much they can handle or can't handle. Yeah, there'll be there'll be budgetary concerns every now and again with clients. That kind of comes down to the filtering thing. So sometimes clients will say, look, yeah. we don't want to spend more than 250000 this month or more than 100000 or whatever it might be. It's, it's different clients at different levels. Um, we We tend to love to work with clients that say, oh, if you can get it in for that price, keep scaling. So like online businesses tend to work very well with us, um, especially if we get paid on a cost per sale model or a, a rev share or profit share deal because they literally can't lose money. So they're just like, well, just keep scaling and they've not got any problems with inventory uh, most of the time. So the uh, those ones are just will scale and continue to scale as much as we can. Um, when, when we're kind of doing the actual finance of it, then yeah, it goes all on one Amex. Um, and we have backup cards should there be ever a problem because obviously we can we need to spend pretty aggressively um but we just need to make sure the, the buying power on that on that account is strong um so we have the amex there um but we could easily put it through on just our normal card our normal bank card if we wanted to um in fact we're, we're starting to look at different ways of doing this because obviously being in the uk we have some clients in the on pound sterling some clients on dollars um some mm-hmm. clients on us um aussie dollars and some on us dollars and some even canadian yeah. dollars um and so when we have all this different mix we have to deal with currency conversion as well oh gosh so, Holy yeah, God. It, it gets to another level of complexity so <laughs> the, the way the way we do that now and it's only been more of a recent thing we've been making the switch because our amex points aren't quite as valuable as they once were because i used to use it for travel and everything um yeah. and and that was really valuable to just get either business or first class flights everywhere all the time and just keep on using the points, not even worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I can't travel anywhere with COVID, those points just racking up. I'm like, <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to be able to use these points. So I don't know what to do with them now. I'm looking to you for advice, by the way. Um, yeah, the- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Insert ad card native advertisement here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so now we're looking at saying, well, it actually, there's, there's quite a few associated fees with using the Amex, and mm-hmm. um, and there's, the benefit that was once there kind of isn't there like it was before. So, um, and with all the currency conversion, we're now looking at using something like TransferWise or the borderless account to say, oh, we can take in money, like we can have a US bank account, take in money from clients to that US bank account. And then it never leaves that currency and then use that to also yes. pay for the Google ads. So there's, there's no currency conversion happening. Um, yeah. But that's been that's only been recent because of the borderless account. Like in the UK, even if you have a USD account in the UK, um, it, for some reason, the US banks are really archaic. They just don't want to play internationally very nicely. So in the UK, like we're all used to it, but the US banks just don't seem yeah. to make it easy on the on you guys oh man this is you're just just making my life so easy here I, i'm just gonna <laughs> it's like just gonna like take this little snippet and send it to all our international clients i mean like yeah. there's so many things no, i, I want to talk to here number one you know creating a u.s ein and a u.s bank account is this it, it's actually really simple if you live overseas you just need a registered agent and um there's actually a company that'll do all this for you for like a couple hundred bucks Mm. and uh and then basically that'll be your operating account for all your u.s clients and then what we do is that becomes um at at that point we then get uh, those folks signed up with ad card and the payment source of the card becomes that operating account in the u.s and 
part of the 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 other aspect of what you're talking about is really the agency use case where they're you know you're fronting the media and so virtual cards is like the way to go here in terms of like keeping things like super clean at the accounting and at the card level so you would or you sh- in my opinion you should create and spin up a dedicated virtual card for each of your accounts and each of your clients to track what the exact spend is versus just kind of throwing it all um, on one card and then just using uh, pretty much ad account level stuff to, to kind of do all that accounting on, on the, on the back end. Mm. And then in terms of like value and maximizing the value of what you get on that spend, right. Is I have a ton of thoughts on because you points is essentially, if we just look at points, they've just been this currency, right? All it is, is like, we're not going to give you cash back. You can get better than cash back when you get points. And really Amex in the UK is like, not even all that great um, as, as like what it is here in the U S but even still in a pandemic, like points is kind of a currency that like travel points is not worth anything. And so, um part of what we've been talking with high level media buyers is like how can you maximize that that value in terms of those rewards and benefits into a currency that's not going to just depreciate or have no value but into a currency that's ultimately going to like appreciate or gain in value while also having some tax advantages you know along the way mm. and uh we will send you this link to um, an episode of this media buyer that spends 35 million a year on ads and plays the point game religiously, but then he sells the points in exchange for Bitcoin and he just has like massive holdings in, in Bitcoin. And mm. it's like a way better flexible currency. It's going to increase in value over time. And you still, uh, you still get the tax, you know, advantages of, you know, which are way better than just like cash back going into your operating account and then, you know, getting taxed when you want to uh, distribute. So yeah. uh, I, that's why we're building out a Bitcoin back, you know, feature on ad card is for these high level media buyers that are spending seven, eight figures. And you're sitting on, you know, like 6 million. If I go to the points guy and he's just saying like 6 million Amex points is worth like what, like two cents right now is what it typically is. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's like 120 grand of, you know, that 120 grand of like Bitcoin that could potentially five or 10 X is like way better than 120 grand in points that like, isn't going to be worth anything in the next, you know, 24 months um, at all. So I'm done with my native advertisement for ad card, but those are three reasons why Utah <laughs> should totally <laughs> sign up. But you know, these use cases are common, right? This is not this is not like specific to you. Uh, but you just did like three layups here for me. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could not resist. <laughs> what else do I need to say to, to do this thing? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's just so rare when you get like three layups. Like at best I'll get one. Um, but you, you were like just a, a triple comment you should sponsor this for me um anyways this is great oh man well i'm in count me in <laughs> just tell me what to do that's amazing <laughs> i mean <laughs> I, I i do think that you know getting to a point where you can 
play the role and have the upside of an affiliate while using the brand assets uh, is is really like the cat's meow. It's it's great, right? Like the worst part about being an affiliate is not getting to use any of the brand assets and having to front the media. And then, you know, tracking is, you know, is even more challenging. Um, but you, you pretty much have the best of both worlds there. So congrats on um, really dialing in a winning model. I, if I had like a dollar for every time I had an agency talk to me about what their business model should be and how they should charge clients. <laughs> like, <laughs> holy cow, man. Um, it's, it's, yeah, there's so many upsh- upshots of like doing it this way. Um, I, but at the end of the day, it's just the best relationship for the for the client. You know, like if, if they know that they, they can't lose with their agency and the agency is 100% in because they are invested in, they can only win when the mm-hmm. client wins, that it, it means like the, the client's in the perfect situation. Um, and if we start there and then work out how we can structure that to benefit us in the best possible way as well, then everyone just is on the same page and we're growing and scaling. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's a great place to do it. And, and there's so many other benefits as well. So you can, you can get to the point where you learn an industry so well, um, because you're just in it every mm-hmm. day and you're making good money from it. It's almost, you build these assets that are ridiculously valuable because once you, let's say, for example, you get a good half an hour video that's performing really well. Um, that's a video that then you just put on your YouTube channel. It's got 4 million, 10 million, 15 million views or something. Immediately it starts ranking and you get all the organic um, kind of ranking from that as well. And that just, if it's in a good niche as well, you start getting some really good traction in that capacity. So you get all these extra benefits of, of running campaigns like this. Um, but yeah, it, it starts with making sure the client's in the best possible place. And then you just know you're in a super solid place. And that's why we have clients that have been with us for five, six years, as opposed to some of our employees come on. They're like, hey, so how long do you kind of keep a client for? Well, about five years. And they're like, oh, right. I thought it was like kind of 18 months tops. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, cool. It's a different relationship that we have. <laughs> that's, yeah, for performance agency, that's that's wild. I mean, I remember, I feel like even a year ago, a lot of the agents I was talking to, their retention was, shoot, seven to eight months. So, I mean, you got that in the bag there. So that's, that's, that's perfect. Yeah, it's good. It's, and it's, it's kind of stability, right? It's kind of, like, I want to make sure that we have an agency. We're not kind of <laughs> looking over our shoulder and being like, oh, this client's going to leave us anytime soon. It's like, no, we've got kind of, we're in it with them. We're going to win it together. So it's, it's a much better place to be. Hell yeah. Tom Breeze, everybody. I love it, man. You just totally rock this, this episode of Rich Head, Poor Head Podcast. Tell everybody a little bit about, you know, what you're up to next, how they can get in touch and, and how we can support you. Yeah, so um, if you want to find out more, we've got TomBreeze.com, which is our, our training and consultancy site. That's going to be uh, growing and, and building shortly. Uh, we also have the agency site, which we've been talking about, which is viewability.co.uk. And um, the thing I'm going to be working on next is working out how I can turn all these points into Bitcoin. That's the that's the next step for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, there you have it, everybody. Thank you so much, Tom. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Rich Ad Poor Ed podcast. If you're like me and listen to podcasts on the go, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and richadpoored.com slash podcast. And if you absolutely love the show, go ahead and leave a review and a comment, share with a friend. If you do, take a copy, screenshot of it, email me, 
Zach at FunnelDash.com. Show me you left a review and I'll give you a free copy of the Rich Ad Poor Ad book. To learn more about the book, go to richadpoorad.com. To leave a review, go to richadpoorad.com slash review. Thanks again.